0: Guys, good Wednesday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. Live from our downtown Charlottesville studio in the Macklin building on Market Street, it's a pleasure to connect with you through a network today that's presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Dr. Wagner has your back. His practice, which features integrated medicine um, strategies and techniques, innovative integrated medicine strategies and techniques, is literally changing people's lives. Dr. Wagner has your back. I've seen it firsthand. We've worked alongside Dr. Wagner's practice for almost 12 years, and he really is is impacting quality of life for thousands of people in Central Virginia. A lot I want to cover on today's show. We'll continue the discussion yesterday of upzoning, Real estate assessments, the tax rate that I thought was insightful and approachable. We'll talk about Razorblade Ellis getting approved to the UVA Board of Visitors. Whether Bert Ellis wants to admit this or not, he forever has a nickname and a moniker, and it's Bert Razorblade Ellis. He is now um, appointed to the UVA Board of Visitors. We'll talk about that on today's show. We will also chitter-chatter who city council should pick or tab to replace Cena McGill. That topic on the program, Kathy Galvin and Kristen Zako seem to be the front runners. J dubs you looking bandwidth? Everything all good there?
1: It's, yeah, not bad.
0: Okay, um, we'll talk New Hills Beacon Project and a commercial kitchen. Uh, looking for funding from the city of Charlottesville. Looking for uh, looking to launch a pretty robust commercial kitchen for the area. I'll offer some perspective on that. We'll talk what's next for Friends of Seville, the downtown nonprofit that is looking to improve quality of life locally. A lot to cover on the program, including Virginia's victory against NC State last night, and what would you do differently if you purchased the Firefly Restaurant, which is currently for sale. Friend of the program, Stu Rifkin, has that listing. Judah Wittcower is the director of the show. Again, my name is Jerry Miller. Um, Why don't we go to the two-shot and welcome J-Dubs. The alter ego of Judah Wickhauer. My friend, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, quite well. Um, yesterday, I thought we had a strong dialogue about upzoning and the impact upzoning could have in, in, in Charlottesville. We'll dot the I's and cross the T's. We'll take some questions. We had to finish the show in a bit of haste yesterday as our Tuesday 145 VIP client Caught me a little off guard. I got we'll, that call right at, at 145. And we'll do it again. And next Tuesday. Yeah. No, today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> a, the good thing about the show is we can continue the discussion from day to day. Um, I thought you asked some really good questions about um, how the added density is going to um, potentially impact home values and why so many folks in this community are, are, are disenchanted with this upzoning Um, I'd like to throw it back to you if you have any further questions on it, um, on upzoning. I think, uh, look, whether we want to admit this, whether we are okay with upzoning or not, the reality is it's going to happen. Neil Williamson's going to win the bet. Keith Smith's going to shave his mustache live on air. It's going to happen in the very near future. (coughs) Now we have to ask, what's the cause and effect? I've said the cause and effect of upzoning is wealthy investor speculation. I've said the cause and effect of upzoning is not um, affordability from a housing standpoint. I said it's just gonna make, it's just gonna create more expensive housing stock locally as people flood this area looking to create a home or change the pace and speed of living in a big city and trading it down for a smaller city that may offer a better quality of life and less congestion. Before we head to a different topic, I want to give you an opportunity because I think you offer perspective that's valuable because you look at it differently than, say, like an insider will, and the questions that you asked opened my mind that perhaps not everyone may know what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I'll pass it to you, and then we'll talk razor blade Ellis to the uh, board of visitors that's got a lot of people on grounds at the University of Virginia, very, very frustrated, but first, you to the show is yours.
1: I mean, I guess uh, the only question I, I really have is: <clears throat> is there a way to block out investors? I mean, I'm I'm all for uh, I'm all for open markets and free markets, but uh, obviously we're seeing we're seeing a problem. Uh, you often talk about uh, the uh, the invisible hand of capitalism. Uh, and how do we, how do we make it? Uh, how do we, I I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Uh, equitable isn't quite right, but I think that's part of it. Uh, but how do we make it so that we're not just selling our, uh, you know, selling our city to, uh, to speculators?
0: John Blair. Hello. Yoda Smith. Hello. Welcome to the program. I, I I mean, outside of things like rent control, I don't think there really is a uh, solution here. Um, I don't think anyone wants rent control in this community. Um, The last thing I want is to empower government with more autonomy.
1: Yeah, agreed. uh,
0: And empower government with more control and influence. I mean, that's why I said that no one's going to really beat the invisible hand that is capitalism. Um, I think potentially what you can do is empower, like, say, the land trust a little bit more. Yeah. what Keith's trying to do. Right. Um, but when it's all said and done, money, money talks and money walks. Yeah. Um, and this town, if you have it, you make moves. If you don't have it, you're out of luck. I mean, look at Burt Ellis. Burt Ellis is wealthy. Burt Ellis has, has clout and influence. He's, he was a UVA undergraduate, um, You know, a, a graduate of uh, UVA's four-year program, and he got an MBA from the University of Virginia. Yeah. Burt Ellis legitimately traveled across state lines to razor blade a sign off the lawn. Burt Ellis um, had significant protest about his appointment to the Board of Visitors, protests from students, from faculty, from community members, from student council, from the University Democrats, from faculty senate. He had national press and notoriety about his razor blade tendencies and still He's approved to the board of visitors.
1: Why I'm was actually he... amazed that uh, that he wasn't taken from the resolution. You're you're amazed what? Uh, I'm amazed that I'm well. I'm amazed that he uh, that he was elected. You know that he is. He was appointed. Yeah, but the thing is that uh, yes, you're right. There was a a major move to take his name off, and I'm most flabbergasted by the fact that that fell short, I mean like just by a hair I'm not flabbergasted.
0: why are you Flabbergaston? he's a wealthy guy with clout and influence who was appointed by the governor you had two Democrats, Senators Linwood Lewis and Senators Chapman, Senator Chapman Peterson who broke Democratic ranks and voted alongside Republicans to reject the amendment um, to remove Ellis from an board a visitor's appointment that's Le- what's surprising to me. Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears cast the tie-breaking vote. I mean, the the guy is influential. He's got my. It's a perfect example of money talking. Okay. I mean, and, and we can take it back to zoning here if you want. Floris worley via, welcome to the program. Same with you, Teresa Phillips. I.
1: No, I was most curious about the two Democratic senators, but if you say that it's, you know, that it was just a money thing, then that explains it. I'd...
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 a perfect correlation to, to the upzoning here. I mean, the folks that have the influence, the money, yeah. are going to determine what's going to happen with the housing. Right. Like, and I know some folks are of the impression that any kind of additional housing stock is going to create affordability because it's putting more options on the market. So someone who otherwise would be buying a, you know, a wealthy person could purchase one of these other houses that's being created, as opposed to jumping into the first-time homebuyer pool and right. cannibalizing that stock and preventing a first-time homebuyer from getting into the game. Um, I, I, I understand that concept, um, yeah. but at the same time, you know, this is, this is how we make our living. Whether it's representing builders and developers, or whether it's doing the investing ourselves. We understand that the people that are going to be first to market are the ones that have the wealth to to make the decisions.
1: There's also the There's also the fact that uh, between the um, between what's coming to UVA, what's coming to uh, uh, Fontaine, uh, Biotech, Paul yeah. Manning Institute, Ivy and Road, Data that, Science that added to uh, that added to possibly more UVA students. Uh, can we really build houses fast enough to to make it so that those additions don 't have uh, don 't have the effect of basically taking up all of that stock and leaving us still hurting for more
0: i i I do not
1: think so I do yeah. not think we
0: can build stock fast enough to accommodate the people flooding here, whether students or professionals, whether yeah. data scientists, whether biotech scientists, whether folks on this regional tech hub that's being percolated. I don't think we can. Yeah. I and really and how would we do it? Like, where would we go besides up in Charlottesville? Yeah. I mean, seriously, where would we go besides up? I mean, maybe yeah. a couple more units in a backyard in Belmont
1: yeah. or I north mean, downtown. You'd have, to, you'd have to get into park grounds and, uh, you know, I mean, you'd have to cut down forests, trees, and, you know, uh, it's obviously not what we want.
0: What, what, is the, um, what is the most under, viewers and listeners watching this fine and fair talk show, think about Charlottesville City. What is the most underutilized piece of land in Charlottesville City right now? I have an idea for this. I'll I'll relay it. But viewers and listeners, you put your comments in the feed if you could. You think of a 10.2 square mile city, which plot or parcel is most underutilized, most underpotential, lacking potential in Charlottesville City right now? What are your your ideas on that? I'm very curious of what you have to say um, on this and then all from my perspective. Any ideas, any guesses, any suggestions? I mean, there's no wrong answer here.
1: I mean, I've just, uh, I'm, I'm mostly aware of spaces because I've been, you know, I've wandered. Uh, there's a spot over by, uh, over by the former State Farm building. Um, there was a little... Uh, there was You're talking little... Hunter Wyatt State
0: Farm? By the, sh- by the old Shabine, or which State Farm are you talking
1: about? No, over by... Oh, Pantops. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's Almar County. What you pass Freebridge here in Alamore County?
1: Okay, I'm talking gotcha. Charlottesville City. Bob Yarborough,
0: we'll get to this comment here in a matter of moments.
1: I don't know. I don't have a good enough view of uh, uh, the City on Yard on the is my
0: the Charlottesville City Yard is my number one most under potential, lacking creativity um, parcel in Charlottesville City. Where is that? The Charlottesville City Yard is in the Star Hill neighborhood. Hmm the 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 city hall of charlottesville is utilizing the city yard as a um, parking lot as a storage area for its public works and for its for its pickup trucks for its heavy equipment you're talking acres of land in city of charlottesville that's landlocked that's literally being utilized to store and to park trucks and equipment if i was charlottesville city I would figure out a way to make the city yard potentially housing Hmm. or allocate it to housing, and then I would form a joint venture with Almaro County where I could then store my heavy equipment, my machinery, my pickup trucks elsewhere. Almaro County's got land. Charlottesville doesn't. So Charlottesville's got to prioritize its dirt for anything and everything. Take the city yard off West Main and try to be creative with it, Okay. And creativity—does it include or doesn't involve parking trucks or heavy machinery or or maintenance vehicles and doing repairs? Okay, yeah. Alamo County got creative. You know how Alamo County got creative with its with its public works and its and its machinery and its pickup trucks. Judah, it utilized um, Fashion Square Mall. Yeah. And what the old Sears building?
1: It did. I mean, a, there's hundreds, if not thousands of. Uh open parking spaces around that mall daily. So,
0: Well, an, a, another example, and speaking of parking, does anyone think <coughs> the, do you guys know where Staples Office Supply is in Charlottesville? Which one? The one right off the downtown mall. I think there's only one Staples in the city of Charlottesville. Okay. Um, Staples in the city of Charlottesville has a massive parking lot where Gerhardt's Chocolate is. Yeah. The old, literally, this is Vinegar Hill. Yeah. Staples. Why, does anyone think that the best use of that land is a Staples office supply? Does anyone think the future of that land is office supply retail? And why does someone, why does a business, I mean, that, that has such a bleak future, because folks are just going to buy their office supplies online, why does it have a parking lot that is the size of like four or five football fields?
1: Yeah, they certainly don't need 50 or 60 Spots. I think um, it might even be more
0: than that. I mean, that I'm plot sure is, is massive. Yeah. Like, they're right. That's two examples of incredibly, incredibly underutilized real estate in a landlocked 10.2 square mile city.
1: Yeah, no doubt. A
0: city yard where you're housing vehicles for maintenance purposes in Charlottesville, off in the Star Hill neighborhood, and the Staples lot in the Vinegar, Vinegar Hill area. From my standpoint, those are the two most underperforming, underutilized, lacking potential and creativity pieces of dirt in the city of Seville. Can you guys think of anything else that could compete with those two? And if so, put them in the feed. I'm open-minded to learning from you. I do not see two more underutilized pieces of property um, than those in Charlottesville. If we don't start getting... If we don't start thinking outside of the box locally, the rea- reality is you're just going to have a more expensive area. I mean, that's really when it's all said and done, that's the reality. Staples is close to Siren. You're exactly right, Scott Airworth of Virginia Beach. Yeah. It's on the other side of Laura Founders restaurant Siren, the old Shabin location. Mm-hmm. You drive by there, you never see
1: anyone in it, ever. Three or four cars, tops, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been in there not too long, not too long ago. It's I mean, would you have to get some printer paper, like a printer cartridge, for us? Uh, I think it was envelopes, uh, but yeah, I don't think I've ever seen more than three or four people in that in that place at uh, peak hours. Right. I mean, let's get creative with these
0: underutilized parcels of land. Let's form joint ventures with creative developers. Hmm. Let's consider what Oliver Kuttner once tried to do with studio apartments, micro apartments. Hmm. You see them in Manhattan. You see them in big cities in D.C. You see them in Northern Virginia. Do we have any studio or micro apartments in Charlottesville? Can anyone think of a micro apartment complex in Charlottesville? I can't. Anyone? Put it in the feed if you do. I'd love to learn from you guys. I cannot think of one. If we don't get creative, and I don't think government's the creative um, vehicle. I think government should empower folks they trust to be creative and let them do their thing and stay out of their way. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, here's a conversation starter for a cocktail party for you. All the city of Charlottesville... What are the most underutilized underutilized pieces of property in our town? I just gave you two that I think are the clear-cut winners. Anyone else think of anything else that's underutilized? I mean, for so long, it was the Kim's IGA grocery store on Cherry Avenue. Yeah, That just sold. I think that's going to be completely reinvented in the near future. City Yard and the Staples parking lot, the old Vinegar Hill, the most underutilized. If we don't start figuring out how to utilize the every nook and cranny in our town, we're just going to continue to have affordability problems. I mean, it's as simple as that. And, and, and a perfect conversation or a perfect gateway to this is who is council going to pick to replace Cena McGill? And why that's a perfect segue is because whoever they pick, they will be a part of this density, upzoning, budget, partnership discussion. From my standpoint, I think it's either Kathy Galvin or Kristen Zaykos. Both Galvin and Zaykos served on council. Mm-hmm. Both of them have the institutional memory and the know-how to come in right away and not have a steep learning curve. Yeah. And what's happening now is a strange turn of events. Replacing a counselor midterm, that's difficult, especially during budget season. Especially with McGill having, what, 10 months left on her term when she quit? Yeah. 11 months left on her term when she quit, when she resigned? Kathy Galvin's my pick. And I understand, look, Kathy Galvin's a friend of the show. Love having Kathy on the program. She's an architect. She's been there. She's done that. She's been on the school board. Yeah. She's been on council multiple terms. Three terms, right? For Kathy Galvin on council, is that right? Maybe two terms. Um, I would pick Kathy Galvin to replace Cina Miguel. One of the things that's flying under the radar is both Zekos and Galvin have said they're not going to run for re-election. Yeah. So if Snook and Payne choose to run for re-election, we know Snook is. I would imagine Michael Payne is. This is his primary source of income, being on council. I would imagine in the back of their head, they got to be thinking, all right, at least these folks aren't going to compete against us come this election cycle. Right. So let's just, February 20th, the announcement's going to happen. I would bet it's either Zaykos or Galvin that are going to get the pick. My, my vote would be for Galvin. Architect, yeah. experience, knows what she's doing. I think Zaykos also has a lot of uh, appeal as well because of her time on council. Let's see what Snook and, and, and uh, Wade and Pinkston and Payne do. Yeah. You got a pick? You go, Kathy, on that?
1: Yeah, mostly because I know her better than any of the other candidates. Um, two terms for uh,
0: Galvin on uh, council. She also ran against Sally Hudson in the 57th House of uh, Delegates race in 2019. Yeah. Um, I think Kathy would be a fantastic pick. What do you think, viewers and listeners? Put your thoughts in the feed. I'll relay them live on air. Um, A lot I want to cover on the program, including Burt Ellis' appointment to the Board of Visitors. You got a guy that traveled across state lines with a razor blade to razor a sign off a student's door that he disagreed with. Yeah. You had... Student Council, Faculty Senate, the University of Democrats, m- hundreds of students and faculty, community members protesting Ellis's appointment to the Board of Visitors. None of that mattered. Apparently not. None of that mattered. Now Ellis is on the Board of Visitors, and he will determine or help shape, along with his peers, the future of the University of Virginia. In the future of the University of Virginia, whether we want to admit this or not, there's a lot to shape. Highest enrollment in the history of the university, class of 2027, excuse me, highest applicant pool, largest applicant pool, largest amount of numbers. Two new schools about to open. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have so much to shape if you're on the board of visitors. And these are the people that do the shaping. Board of Visitors were the ones that got Teresa Sullivan ousted. Hmm. Board of Visitors, behind the scenes, are the power, power players. Yeah, I was not surprised that Ellis got appointed. Especially with Yunkin saying he wanted him on the board.
1: Were you surprised? Like I said, I was only surprised that, uh, that a couple Democrats came out for him. Or at least not against him, um, but yeah. you're surprised
0: that Democrats cross party lines to vote him to vote in favor of him, right?
1: Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that uh, that struck me as as odd, uh, but uh, you never know. And you're probably right about the money thing. He probably uh, you know, not, I shouldn't say probably, but uh, uh, there's a high chance that he. You know, bought his way in. Bob Yarborough, I don't buy his way in.
0: You're the one talking about money. I don't think he bought his way in. I think he's just a man of tremendous influence and clout. And I think that he became um essentially a political pawn. I mean he was he was he was in a lot of ways a pawn on a chessboard. Okay. Um I don't think he bought his way in. I think it's just that he had friends in his corner of tremendous influence and clout. I mean, Yunkin was all about this guy. Yeah. So I also think that, um, whether folks want to admit this or not, the political winds are shifting. And they're even shifting around here. Five, six years ago... Clear-cut community that was as blue as can be, from a politics standpoint. Yeah. Now very purple. I was talking about this on Twitter last night with a friend of the program, John Blair. In 2019, you had three spots on the Alamo County School Board that ran completely uncontested. No competition. Democrats. No no adversaries ran unopposed on the school board. Yeah. Now you got four spots up for election in twenty twenty three, and I think you're gonna have significant competition. We already know Dr. Meg Bryce is running for the at-large seat. Yeah. She leans conservative. Definitely. Right? 2019, no one leading conservative running for school board. Now you already got one. I know, and I'm not gonna it's not my news to break on this program, but I know that you got three other Potential leaning conservatives going to announce on the school board, and whether we want to you know competition is good, yeah options definitely. are good in election cycles, and mm-hmm. we 're going to have them this year, yeah we 're going to have them this year. Bob Yarborough, the King of Redfield, says this: outside of more and significant government intervention, which I do not think anyone wants to see, robust and vigorous land banking is one of the few answers for communities. But let's face it, we're pretty land-choked.
1: Yeah, so he's basically talking about uh, something like the Thomas Jefferson Land Trust using its uh, collective power and clout to, uh, to buy up land that would otherwise pretty easily fall into the hands of wealthy investors. I mean, yeah. Or speculators.
0: The, the problem, and, and Bob's already identified this, the king of Redfields, is there's no more land left. Yeah. There's no more land left. Where, I'm out of curiosity. What would they buy? What would they bank? Any, Neil Williamson says candidates matter. I agree. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I think this election cycle you're going to have arguably the most competition we've seen at local races in a very long time. You'll have competition at the school board. Yeah. You'll have competition on the Almore County Board of Supervisors. I'm very curious to see which candidates, which potential candidates announce for city council. Three of, three of five spots are up for election. Lloyd wants to run again. I would imagine Michael's going to run again. Who else is going to challenge him? Look at the uh, Sally seat in the House of Delegates. Bellamy Brown, Dave Norris, Dave Brown, Katrina Coulson, already that we know of.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a wild race.
0: We'll see what happens with Ned Galloway. The scuttlebutt has Galloway entering that race. Time will tell. Hmm. Right? I think you're looking at a time in Charlottesville and Albemarle where the political winds have shifted. It's no longer like blue, the Disney color blue, a strong blue. It's certainly very purple. And, and I think a lot of voters have been frustrated with what they've seen over the last five or ten years. And that's caused the shift. Yeah, I think some of the fiasco, some of the violence in schools... Some of the school, I mean, Kevin Higgins, are you watching the King of Greenwood sent me a message, a a direct message today? The Henley, the Western Henley, I'm literally looking at it right now. The Western Henley bus 179 every single day this year has been late. At a bare minimum 30 minutes. Man. And he says a 30-minute late pickup on the bus means they're arriving hours late to school. And he goes, these kids in my neighborhood, the Greenwood neighborhood, have basically had a 75% school year. Three quarters of a school year because the busing is is such an issue. Yeah. And Greenwood's a a far part of Almaro County. You're talking arguably what a lot of people would say on paper is the best school track in Almaro. Western High School, Henley Middle, and either Brownsville, Murray, or Meriwether Elementary. People moved to Western Almoral for these schools. Yeah. And they still haven't figured out the bus driver shortage. Almoral High School a couple days ago had a quasi lockdown because of social media threat. Crozet Gazette wrote an article. Uh, a handful of days ago, I think it was released on Friday or Saturday, and this Crozet Gazette article talked about the behind the scenes of the rebranding of Meriwether Lewis. Remember yep. when we were talking branded Lindsay? He wrote us. He was on the name change committee at Meriwether, the rebranding committee.
1: Yeah, and he felt it was a. He felt it was a farce. Remember? Not. Not only was it a farce, but then they turned around and tried to tried to what do you call it? Uh, Try to teach the people on that had uh, that had volunteered. Uh, put them through a what do you call it? A re uh, uh,
0: a training seminar through video. Yeah. I mean that's that's and in in a lot of ways that was brainwashing. The name change committee at Merriweather overwhelmingly said keep Merriweather the same. Yeah. Dr. Matthew Haas did not like what their outcome was and changed the rules. Mm-hmm.
1: He changed the rules. It, and tried, changed the name of the committee. And then tried to make the people feel like they had made the wrong choice. Right. He guilt-tripped them. Guilt-tripped them. It's disgusting.
0: It went from a, a name evaluation committee to then, once they evaluated the name and chose to keep it Merriweather, and then became a name change
1: committee. Yeah, what name do you want to change it to?
0: Then voting went from voting out loud, saying, I vote this in front of the committee, to then voting via secret ballot. Yeah. Before they voted via secret ballot, they, were ha- they had to watch a video on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then the leader of the committee was replaced by someone Dr. Haas picked. Yeah. That's changing the rules. That's like, that's like the Super Bowls on Sunday. That's like the Eagles jump out to a 21 nothing halftime lead, and Roger Goodell and the National Football League say, we want to maintain viewers for the second half, and right now it's a blowout. Let's give the Chiefs 21 points so it's tied yeah. entering the third quarter. That's what Haas did. Do you understand that? That's what Haas did here. Comments, concerns, put them in the feed. Um, Carol Thorpe says this. Love when you watch the program, uh, Carol Thorpe. In fact, I'm going to tag Kathy on this. Is the right choice. Uh, The queen of Jack Jewett, Carol Thorpe, one of the two former counselors. Of the two former counselors, I think Galvin is the best pick for the current open spot. She also says, Kristen Zaykos will be out of town for two months during the 10-month term, which she disclosed in her application. Oof. Why apply?
1: Yeah, that's not going to help your cause.
0: Why? Well, I mean, whether it helps your cause or not. I appreciate the fact that she's trying to do her civic duty. But if you're going to be 20% of your term, you're going to be gone on R&R, that's not the right choice. Yeah. Here's the question. You want to hear the question? Do Snook, Wade, Pinkston, and Payne have the courage to ignore Charlottesville Twitter? Charlottesville Twitter does not like Galvin. Do, Why is that? Because some of her past votes on housing. Prior, another example: prioritizing the West Main Street scape project, like she had, hmm. um, over potentially school rehabilitation and reconfiguration. Renaming? I mean, no. I, I <laughs> I'm think joking. it's it, what what they did with Buford was they're trying to build another, improve the school. I mean, literally through construction. That's costly, hundred million dollars roughly. Yeah. I think Cal, Kathy Galvin's the pick. But do the four guys on council have the cojones to ignore Charlottesville Twitter and put Kathy on the dais? We're going to learn a lot about these four guys between now, what's the, is it February 20th, Carol, when the decision is made? I think it's February 20th, the next council meeting in 12 days. We will learn a lot about Snook, Payne, Pigston, and Wade, and whether or not they will ignore Charlottesville Twitter in this decision. Mm-hmm. galvin is the pick the right pick architect multiple terms on council on the school board does not need to run for re-election understands the budget process yeah. most recently of Zekos and galvin galvin was the one most recently on council
1: mm-hmm.
0: on council as of 2019 kathy
1: yeah
0: rides her bike everywhere loves pedestrian and biker safety Ah. Uh, I think the school scenario Janice Boyce Travillion JPT welcome to the program. I think the school scenario has got people so frustrated. The outcomes, the performance of these schools that they are going to come to the polls and vote. And I think the political winds have shifted. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that the landmines that are schools are the ones that are driving the shifting winds because kids don't deserve it. But much like Burt Ellis was made into a political pawn, Razorblade Ellis, the kids have been made into political pawns as well. Yesterday on Twitter I said... The, and I'll read verbatim what I, what I tweeted, what I interacted with, with Tammy Purcell of Louisa County, who does a great job, and with John Blair. I said, here are the points that will influence Almore County School Board voters. One, collective bargaining. Look, a lot of people aren't in favor of collective bargaining or unionizing. But if Charlottesville City Schools have this power, their teachers, Yeah. If Albemarle County does not offer the same power, they will have teacher shrinkage and more teachers quitting, and that's already a problem. Mm-hmm. Violence in schools. Every other day, we're talking about violence in schools, alleged sexual assaults, social media threats, schools on lockdowns, and and as Rolls this brawls in the
1: halls. What's that? Brawls in the halls. Yeah,
0: stampedes yeah, in the halls, uh bump a wow wow, in the stalls of the bathrooms, right apparently, bus driver shortage is still an issue. the transgender topic with teacher and parental communication should teachers tell parents and I 'm not even going to give an opinion on this, okay, but should teachers tell parents that Their kids, the parents' kids, are identifying of the opposite sex while in schools. We don't even have to give an opinion on this. This is for school board candidates to offer their thoughts. But that's a topic right now. Many in this community are divided on this. And they feel, Charlottesville Twitter certainly does, that it's not the parents' business that their kids are identifying of the opposite sex in a school. And that the teacher shouldn't tell the parents of this. Mm-hmm. Other people are like, What do you mean you're not gonna tell me that my kid is identifying of the opposite sex in school? How is that fair communication to us? That's a topic. Rebranding, how long have we been talking about school rebranding? Phil, Feel, it feels years. like a year, right?
1: It feels like years.
0: Feels like years. Absolutely. S.O.L. scores, all these other issues are, are, are trumping poor S.O.L. performance. And that says something, because normally, academic performance would be the top priority because it's a school.
1: Yeah. If you're not teaching, why do you exist? And then Dr. Haas,
0: you know, I am very, Warrior AG, we'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments, I promise. Um... I'm hesitant to call out Judah, someone that lives in this community that's working in a school environment. But I do not, in my heart of hearts, Believe that Dr. Haas is doing a great job. I do not believe that Dr. Haas currently is the right guy to be the superintendent of the school. I watched him hire third party consultants to handle. Poor performance of black and brown students with SOL scores. I watched him manipulate a rebranding committee. Read the Crozet Gazette article if you want some more insight on that. I watched Dr. Haas fail to solve the bus driver shortage. Has anyone even considered the significance of k Tech and the fact that Charlottesville City Schools now... Co- own K Tech? They bought Almoral County out of K Tech?
1: Where are they going to get teachers for that if they can't get bus drivers? Take it a step further. Eventually, K Tech is going
0: to be a Charlottesville City School academic vehicle. If you're an Almoral County student and you don't want to go to a four year college, but you'd like to learn a trade, where are you going to learn that trade once it's only Charlottesville students that are going to be allowed at K Tech?
1: Is that really what they're planning on doing?
0: Long term. Long term. Wow. It's just this has not been. It's been one. It's been one fiasco after another. It's been one fiasco after another. We'll see, Matt. Matt. Matt Daring watching the program. He says he he thinks is extremely blue. We'll see, dude. We'll see come November. We'll see, we'll see what happens with school board races and board of supervisor races. We will very much see. And remember, there are varying degrees. There are varying degrees of blue. How's the audio? Katherine Lochner says we got no audio. Can someone confirm we got audio? I'm listening to it. You're good? Yeah, Judith says we're good. You're listening to it in real time? All right, thank you, sir. Um, Regardless, we can, we can say this, Matt, that we're going to have conservative candidates running for offices, and in 2019, there were none. In 2019, a Republican governor beat a Democrat yeah. that previously was a governor. Right? Yeah. We'll see been pretty... The crystal ball's been pretty damn accurate on this show. And that's why you guys watch. We already got competition for the at-large seat with Dr. Bryce. She's running. Yeah. I know for a fact... The other three seats, there's candidates... Leading conservative that are going to run. I'll let them make that announcement. I know for a fact that you're gonna see candidates conservative run for board of supervisors. I'll let them make that announcement. It's gonna happen soon. Let's see how the winds blow. Oh. What do you make a New Hills beacon project? The commercial kitchen.
1: You want me to give the nitty gritty on it? Yeah, I think, it, I think it sounds like a great idea. Uh, it's a commercial
0: kitchen, yeah. open to the public. The Beacon Project is a fully equipped, shared-use kitchen. The goal is to expand economic opportunities in Charlottesville for the food economy within the black community. Uh, CEO and co-founder of New Hill, Yolanda Harrell, um, is looking for funding from state grants, fundraising, and Charlottesville City support. This Beacon project is going to cost $2.3 million. This shared kitchen um, could be a place where 70 businesses can utilize the shared kitchen to launch their,
1: their concepts. Yeah. I think it's awesome. You like it? I think it's great, yeah. I mean, we've had, uh, we've had some amazing guests from, uh, from Angelique to Sean to, uh, you know. Angelique Hawkins. Yeah. Sean. Uh, the uh, Sean Jenkins, yeah, yeah, from Soul Food Joint. Good call. Yeah. Uh, to guests, uh, more guests than I can count on on uh, the Irpies, uh, today, Manana, uh bakers and uh, and chefs and. Here's a very poignant question for you. A lot of them have a lot of them have started businesses in their in their own kitchens, and I know that has to be somewhat uh, uh, challenging. Not just challenging, but uh, con- confining—not not just in the size of your own kitchen, but in what you can do in your own kitchen. Think about it—you've got a uh, a fully uh, a fully stocked kitchen. Uh, you've got all the—I would imagine—all the ovens, stoves, whatever you could possibly need. And it just, uh, I feel like it's uh, an opportunity for a lot of people to utilize something that will help them uh, be able to grow and expand uh, before uh, before they have to start worrying about how they're going to afford the real estate in Charlottesville.
0: Very pointed question for you. What do we have too much of in this town? much of restaurants we have an over we have we're saturated with restaurants are we not sure should the city fund essentially an incubator and use taxpayer dollars to create more restaurants and set up entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs to potentially compete in the most crowded, ec- crowded landscape in the city. Realtors and restaurants, R&R, the two most crowded and competitive businesses in this area, realtors and restaurants. Should we take taxpayer dollars to create an incubator, essentially what this is, an incubator for aspiring entrepreneurs to launch a business in the most crowded field possible? I want you guys to think about that. Or should the city, or should the city dollars be utilized to create an incubator that is that is that is geared toward a field that's not less, that is way less crowded? Why not Why not utilize the city funds to create an incubator that 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 empowers uh, aspiring entrepreneurs of color and 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 coding app development? technology, data science, biotech, these emerging fields? I mean, I'll ask you that question.
1: Uh, I mean, that's... It would be great if we could do that for every... uh, We can't, though. That's my point.
0: That's why I'm saying should we prioritize... And I'm not throwing, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm just considering other options. I respect mm-hmm. what, what uh, Yolanda Harrell is trying to do. Yeah. I respect what New Hill is trying to do. She has vision, she has hustle, she has chutzpah. There are city, Lloyd Snow called some of these, the emergence of all these nonprofits in Charlottesville, a disease. Because people get these ideas to create nonprofits and they immediately ask Charlottesville City for money to fund them. And he literally called them a disease, on the record, to the media. We're talking $2.3 million here. Not all of that's from the city. It's going to also involve other kind of funding uh, vehicles.
1: State grants and fundraising. Yeah,
0: but should we fund an incubator that's going to birth businesses that are destined to fail? Because it's the most competitive landscape out there? Seriously, that's a fair... Fuck. Look at all the businesses that restaurants that are closing are for sale. More are coming. I'm telling you, I know them. They're talking to us.
1: More are coming. Fireflies for sale. Mm-hmm. But what would, what would an incubator for, uh, for coding look like? Would it just be... A, would it provide computers? Would it provide schooling?
0: I mean, how would it be any different than an incubator for a commercial kitchen? I mean, you have is- a room that has got the, techno- the tech infrastructure in it, and you've got human capital to show the people in the room how to use the tech infrastructure.
1: Okay. No, I, I, please, I'm open-minded to hearing your thoughts here. Please. I mean, I just see less, uh, less room and, uh, and infrastructure needed for something like coding or whatever else whereas with kitchens you've got uh i mean these people are going to be people are going to be doing what they'll end up doing in this uh in this kitchen anyways all the people that i that i named and the ones that i don't remember who's you know the names of uh they're they're out there they're working in their kitchens anyways i think this gives them a place to uh to expand into and maybe to uh to to what you're talking about maybe it gives them a chance to to take a look a long hard look at what they're what they're planning and decide whether or not it's a the proper the proper step forward it gives them access not only to the kitchen but to other people doing the same thing it could be a a system of support. It could also be a place where people find partners so that they're not creating 20 different uh, small small businesses all opening restaurants. Maybe, maybe that becomes three businesses that open restaurants with more support and potentially more chance of success. That's just a uh, one perspective um let me ask you this
0: how many times do we have aspiring entrepreneurs come into our headquarters in the macklin building and say jerry we want to start a business all the time right that's like what we do we launch businesses right we help people launch businesses they talk to you not me all right
1: you you hear them sometimes okay uh okay yes i'll agree with you I, i what
0: what's the business we're Branding. Who do we help? People who need branding. <laughs> oh, you see who the businessman is here. Um, there's the creative and the business. Um, when folks come and sit down and say, "I want to launch a food service business," the first thing I say: eighty percent of small businesses fail in their first three years. It's hard to start a business. And then the second thing I say, why would you want to launch a business in the most competitive landscape in Charlottesville or Central Virginia? 80% are destined to fail in their first three years, and you're choosing a, a field so competitive that established entrepreneurs with decades of experience cannot survive. And the last year alone excuse me, in the last three years alone, off the top of my head, Chad Raglan's Wild Wing Cafe, closed. Downtown Grill, closed. Peloton Station, closed. Hunter Smith, multiple, closed. Right? This is just off the top of my head. Shadwell's, Closed. Piedmont closed, whatever it was, Chattables or Piedmont closed. You got dozens that have closed in the last three years and they're run by seasoned veterans. What makes someone think that they can enter this field without any seasonality or experience and do better than decades veterans with decades of experience? You're setting yourself up to fail from day one.
1: Seems fairly pessimistic. Uh, What about. uh, Seems realistic. What about setting up a. What about setting up a a code uh, type thing that you're talking about? How is that? How many people do you see opening up those types of businesses around here? You're saying there's not many? I'm saying there's. Yeah, there's not many. That's my
0: point. Why wouldn't you launch a business where there's not that much competition? Fifteen years ago, I launched an advertising agency. Why did I launch an advertising agency 15 years ago? Because there wasn't that much competition in this line of work. So to that point,
1: why would you open a large large business to help people... That aren't trying to get into that type of business. If nobody is uh, if nobody is trying to start businesses in uh, in the area of of coding or whatever you want to call it then why why have an incubator for the few people that do? Because that's how they figure out the field and whether or not they want to get into it. So you create something that is only going to be at a quarter capacity because nobody is trying to get into that business? Should the city fund an incubator? I mean, should, a
0: city, should a city fund an incubator that's going to birth more restaurants? I, should I... the city use taxpayer dollars to fund an incubator that is going to create more businesses that we already have too many of?
1: I mean, maybe the better question is just to boil it down and ask if the city should be paying for uh, incubators. That's a great question.
0: Great question. Should we say city, we're funding nonprofits at a clip that these nonprofits are, are not sustainable? If the only way nonprofits can stay alive is through funding from a city, should those nonprofits be alive from the get go? It's a good question. If the only way a business can keep its doors open is by getting PPP money, COVID relief money, loans from banks, is that really a business? It's a good question. I mean, if you can't raise the money on your own, through private fundraising, or you can't get the customers on your own by hustling them in the free market, do you really have something of merit?
1: That's fair. I don't think any of this money is going to uh, start those companies, but still a good question.
0: The city is legitimately going to fund an incubator for aspiring entrepreneurs to launch food service businesses at a time when food service businesses cannot get labor to staff the business, at a time when cost of goods are extremely volatile, and at a time where the most competitive space of business in Central Virginia is restaurants. We are creating an incubator that is going to birth businesses to fail. You can't get people to work for you because they're not out there. They can't afford to live here. Cost of goods have made menu prices so extremely and outrageously high. Customers are like, I'm not gonna pay 19 bucks for a cheeseburger. And then you have the most crowded space of business in a 300,000 person market. Do we need more of them? Utilize tax dollars to create an incubator that births businesses in a field that's not competitive. Not in the field that's the most competitive out there. Do you think the restaurants that are established right now Want to see the city utilizing their tax dollars from the meals taxes to create more competition for them? Kristen Grimes, thank you. She says, I agree, Jerry. (laughs) Kelly Postel Jackson, who owns 17 restaurants, says, I agree, Jerry. We're using taxpayer dollars to to create an incubator to get more competition for the businesses that are already struggling to stay alive. Is Charlottesville City doing well by your business By creating more competition for your business? Exactly, Kelly. Single unit locations cannot stay open. They will struggle. Let's take taxpayer dollars to build hope. Unrealistic hope for aspiring entrepreneurs. Let's show them the way to launch a business that will never be able to make it. Makes no sense to me. Uh, I got a city councilor and a board of supervisor watching right now. Neil Williamson says, Should the city fund an incubator at all? Right. Great question. A great question. If the city's gonna fund an incubator, at least fund an incubator tied to an area that's not saturated. I think the city, especially a city with our history, has the responsibility to fund incubators that's gonna empower aspiring black and brown entrepreneurs. To have success long term and not just a flash in a pan hope. Am I missing something here? Do you, are, am I? I don't know. Oof. Would you be pissed off? Would you be irritated if you were a businessman or a businesswoman and you own restaurants in Charlottesville? and through your hard work and the meals tax, you're funding the jurisdiction so that jurisdiction can use a portion of your meals tax revenue to create more competition for you? It's a hypothetical I can't answer. If you own Zocalo Restaurant, who's about to celebrate its 20-year anniversary, 20 years on the downtown mall Zocalo Restaurant, friend of the program, Ivan Rekosh owns that business. He bust his ASS to stay open and his hard work, the meals tax, is going to Charlottesville to keep the jurisdiction running. Would you be irritated if you were him that that revenue you helped generate was going to be utilized to create an incubator to birth your competition? You're asking hypotheticals that I can't answer. This isn't a hypothetical. This is actually happening. This is happening right now. It's not a hypothetical. This is real life. Right. Literally happening right now.
1: Well then let's call Ivan.
0: I see him every day. I know the answer. Okay. I'm asking you. Well don't and by ask every me. day Ivan, what do we see each other? Twice a week, three times a week? Excuse me. I want to be accurate with what I'm saying here. Just common sense here. If you have a business in Charlottesville and you're struggling to stay alive because you got no labor and your cost of goods are out of control and customers are getting irritated with high dollar menu items would you be upset that the city is creating an incubator to get more competition for what you're doing sure of course you would this is common sense of course you would be pissed off of course you would let me and I'll try it a different way. If the city of Charlottesville created an incubator to build, to create more realtors in the community, a realtor incubator, City Hall created an incubator to birth more realtors. What would the reaction from the realtor community be? Outrage. Okay. Outrage. The only difference between the realtors and the restaurants is the realtors are more organized. They have lobbyists, and they have a, an association. They're more organized. That's the only difference, right? I mean, don't you agree?
1: Sure. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> We're a little bit out of my uh, bailiwick I mean, you but
0: you have common sense, though. This yeah, is common sense. You're very passionate about this subject. I've been um, asking you a question. This is common sense, right? Okay.
1: Ask the question again.
0: If you're a business owner in the area and the city created more competition for your specific business, how would you respond? I would be angry. Of course you would. That's literally what's happening right now. Right? Sure. Oh, man. All right. Topics for tomorrow's show we'll talk about. If you want to hang tight right there, that'd be good. Because we're doing a live show right now. Yeah, just hang tight right there. I'll be right with you. Um, I want to talk Friends of Seaville tomorrow, the nonprofit and what we can expect from them. And the Firefly restaurant being is for sale right now. What would you do with Firefly to make it better? I'll talk uh, hoops tomorrow and we'll continue the discussion of should the city of Charlottesville be in the incubation business on today's talk show. Judah Cower Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville show on a Wednesday um, with you, the viewer and listener, a key part to this program. Thank you kindly for joining us, guys. Until tomorrow, we wish you a good afternoon.